Y'all ready for this? Welcome to the Dan DeVerna Podcast, where we talk about business, life, and how to win it both. I'm, I'm really excited today to be talking to one of my favorite people on the planet, and that is uh, Sensei Hurt Sellers, who is, has a real name, but I just know him as Sensei, but Joe Hurt Sellers. And so, Joe, if you want, uh, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself for starters. Well, sure. Well, I'm a, a, a lifetime martial artist, and I started when I was 14 years old, and I uh, was one of those kids in the 1970s that thought martial arts would be really cool. And back then, they didn't hardly take kids. I think I was probably the youngest one in the dojo or pretty darn close to it because we didn't even have a kids class back then and um, and got started. And uh, once I started, I just loved being the dojo. I, I like to say I was a, a dojo rat, and that's where I spent all my time. And as soon as school would be out during the school year, I'd go to the dojo. We had a class that started at 6 o'clock, and I would get there about 3.30. And uh, wow. stretch. I had to get warmed up, so I yeah. would stretch. <laughs> I was the only one there most of the time, except my my karate teacher, which was Sensei Hanchi Bowles. And um, of course, he would be doing other things, and I'd be off in the in the training area. And then, um, as one thing led to another, I got a little bit older, and I had an opportunity to get my first job. And my first job was working for him. I like to tell people, he, one day the the dojo roof started to leak, and um, he hired me as a teenager to go up and, and put tar on the roof. And I did that all summer long, but I knew that if I did a good job for him, there'd be other opportunities. And then eventually right around the age of 16, he hired me to start teaching little intro lessons. And then I did that for a number of years. And then back in the 1980s, 19, geez, I want to say 88, I moved over to Toledo from Fort Wayne, which Fort Wayne was where I was from. And and opened the dojo on uh, Reynolds Road and, and have been uh, operating the dojo ever since. And I had run a dojo for him for a number of years on State Street in Fort Wayne before I came to Toledo. So I had a little bit of a background and at least the, the, the ability to teach and to communicate the mission of martial arts. So I was very blessed. That's awesome. Fantastic. So martial arts has really been I mean, not to say it's your whole life, but you've been doing it most of your whole life, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I've, I've, I've loved it. I've loved every minute of it. Yeah, what a fun thing. So I have practiced with you. I think I, think I established it a couple years ago when we were getting ready for a test. And Kendall, who's one of your students and a friend of mine, was like, well, I, I, she said, how long have you been doing it? And I said, well, I think like whatever. She said, oh, wait, no, you started with my dad. So that means, and I was 13 or 12 or 11 or something. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's interesting. So at that point, I think it was 13 years, which means wow. that we're probably close to creeping up on 15 years of me practicing martial arts uh, under your tutelage, if you will. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. It is really cool. I have one of, one of the students, his, his name is, um, well, his dad's name is Tommy, but his name is Colin. And I always call him Tommy because he looks just like his dad. So these yeah. are the kinds of things that happen. And then I said to Mark Sears the other night, I said, how long have you been doing this? About 13, 14, 15 years. No. He said, I've been here 20 years. So right. time, time flies when you're having fun. But you know what is a, a true blessing 
is to have great relationships that have lasted over the years. And I, I, again, I, I, I'm probably the most blessed person on the planet to have these deep friendships and relationships and people that have, have helped the dojo grow and helped me grow. And it's just, it's just nice to have, uh, have that kind of an environment. Yeah, it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun, um, but it's so good for you in so many ways. I mean, the fun is, the fun's many levels, like the, the freedom that it gives you and um, to freedom to walk around comfortably and securely and confident and feel good about yourself. And the health aspects are a tre tremendous and the mental health with the meditation and all that stuff. It's just, it's, you know, it's such a blessing in, in so many different ways. I, I think, you know, we had a talk 10 or so years ago and before we started MAM and it was like, why don't more people do martial arts? And, you know, I think the thing is, it's really scary from the outside looking in. If you've never done it before, it can be scary. But once you get in, you realize it's the safest place on the planet <laughs> like yeah. with the best people. So it, yeah. it's really, it's really interesting the, the perspective from the inside versus the outside, the outside folks oftentimes thinking we're a bunch of really tough people. Not that we're not. I mean, because we are, but, uh, but the nicest of people. Yeah, yeah, for right. sure. You know, it's funny, the, the other day I was saying I just went through a surgery and I had some complications and some different things and little health issues, a little bump in the road, as I like to describe it. Fortunately, mm -hmm. I'm on the other side of all that. And that's great. But when I was going through that, I kept thinking to myself, wow, I get it. That's how people feel that don't do martial arts all the time. Because yeah. I was really feeling feeble. I really felt like, you know, if I walked into a room, could I take care of myself? And when people uh, feel confident, it just, it just makes them treat the world a little bit differently. Things that used to be a big deal become less of a big deal. Um, you care more about the things that matter. Candidly, I like to tell people, you know, like the, some of the best martial arts I've ever been around in my life are always the ones that are the most likely to create peace in any given situation. They're the most likely to walk away from a situation because they have nothing left to prove. Right. Yeah, I think that's a big deal. I think, you know, when I think of the highest ranked people at our dojo, like the likelihood of any of of us getting in a fight is like, it just is, I can't even imagine. Like what, what would be, what would have to be happening for, for any of those folks to, uh, to get into a scuffle or anything? I just can't, can't see, can't see yeah. that ever happening. Like, yeah. so it, that's really, it's really interesting like that. So, so what kind of, what, tell us a little bit about your background in martial arts, like as far as stylistically and some of that. And, and I know that's evolved. So I'd like to hear the process of kind of why that evolved and how. Sure, sure. So back in the days when I started in the 70s, and this is not unusual, you really didn't look at another style. You, it was really one style, one lifetime. That was the idea. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it, in a way that was good because it, it gave people a foundation. Because what you have happen today is it's kind of like the quitting culture that we have. And all of our kids have faced it. We've all seen it uh, other places that when the going gets tough, the person that's experiencing the toughness goes someplace else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like Sufa Brown likes to say, you know, there's huge benefit in 
endurance. There's a huge benefit in going through that because you're not just learning then something that's external. Because everybody that comes to the martial arts, and myself included when I started when I was a kid, but everybody is looking for that external, that outside thing. But the deepest benefits of martial arts are really realizing that it's going to pull something out from inside of you. And when we say that martial arts then becomes a way of life, there's a reason for that because that thing that it pulled out of the inside of you is what you use in business. It's what you use in relationships. It helps you be a better parent. And so that people get kind of addicted because you can get addicted to a lot of things that are external. Some of them are good for you. Some of them are really, really obviously bad for you. Mm -hmm. But when people get addicted to that internal strength that martial arts can produce, that's when they become lifers like people like you and, and others. So, um, so anyway, I, to be a direct answer to your question, so I started in a style called Shuriru. I did that for many, many years. I was introduced to the founder of karate in the United States, Robert A. Triaz in Wiki, Wikipedia. I became one of his students, traveled with him, of course, my, through the permission of my teacher, um, and uh, was just honored to be on his fighting team, did a lot of different things, and spent time in that style. But I have one other influence that was kind of unique. There was a guy that, uh, that kind of took me under his wing. He was probably the best kicker that ever came out of the Midwest, except for maybe Bill Wallace. They're kind of like two peas in a pod. But he was uh, an athlete, and his name was Steve Perry. So not the, not the lead singer from the, the band Journey. But, and uh, Mr. Perry was uh, so good to me. Like I said, took me under his wing. But what, what revolutionized my thinking was he had such athleticism that in the 1980s, the people that refereed the tournaments that he fought in did not have the visual acuity to track his movement. And I got to train with the guy and I knew how good he was. And I would see things that he was hitting people with that referees were unable to see because they had never seen anything like it. Wow. It'd be like if you took a, a Michael Jordan and you put him back in the 1930s or 40s and had him play basketball, they, they just wouldn't understand what was even happening, right? Mm -hmm. And that really influenced me. And it, it made me think, you know, there's got to be more than just doing things one way because here's a guy that kind of on his own has figured out how to do things different way in this open circuit tournament. And so that made me a lot more flexible, I think. Um, and of course, I wanted to imitate him. I wanted to be him, you know, worse than anything as a kid. So um, I think that made it real possible for me to make a transition and then to pick up self-defense from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and then make my transition into getting an opportunity to train with, with obviously with Professor Dunn with some Jiu-Jitsu, but then uh, with uh, Sifu Brown, who just kind of opened the whole logbook of what martial arts is. So Sifu Brown, if, if you grabbed a lamp cord and wrapped it around a guy's neck that's attacking you, that's good martial arts, you know? Yeah. So it didn't matter the style anymore with him. It was all about freedom. And I think that was really helpful. But I will tell you this, if I didn't spend that 20 years before those exposures, maybe it wouldn't have been such a good thing for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty neat. I mean, the evolution of, of that in the evolution of your martial arts and, you know, the, there's only a couple people that I really think martial arts looks really beautiful when they're doing and you're one of those people. So there's just a couple people. There's a, a simple, simple, but elegant. And it's, it's a lot of fun to watch people that are really, really gifted. And then the athletic element is also, that's a big positive for people. It's not one that I'm blessed with, but 
you know, like that's okay. Cause it really does take all kinds. We're all very different and uh, it's, it's very accepting of whatever you have to offer, you know? Right. And right. so I, I love the open architecture of being able to work. Like one day we're doing some very karate based things and then a little bit of a keto is mixed in and some jujitsu is mixed in and a little Kung Fu. And, you know, you just kind of throw it all in kind of that Bruce Lee philosophy of, of just, you know, uh, yep. that whole kind of that whole story. So, um, yes, yeah, it's an awful lot of fun. Awful yeah. lot. I could talk about martial arts all day, every day. And I really have every expectation because I get a lot of questions about it. Like people are constantly like, well, you, you're, how are you staying in such good shape? Well, I mean, you definitely know the story because you were there, but like at one point I was 240 pounds and said, if I got to 220, I'd start going to martial arts. Cause that would be like something I really knew I would get into and thought I would, it would catch. And I'm a guy that's better when I have some accountability and those things. So, you know, fast forward from those 10, 15 years, you know, now I'm like 60 pounds lighter plus than what I was, you know, before all that. And, you know, have really never felt better. And I attribute a lot of that to you and to martial arts and to, to all that and the mental, uh, the, the mental elements with the meditation. So have you always been a deep into the meditative side of this? Well, yeah, you know, it's funny you say that because I always have. And in fact, a big part of one of the reasons I started, was always kind of searching, which was kind of unusual for a 14 year old, but it was something that was really real to me. And I think one of the things that affected me was um, the very first book I got on martial arts was a karate book. I actually got a small one. I think I was 13 years old. It was called Vital Karate by Masutatsu Oyama. And it was a small book, but a very nice little handbook. And then actually I can't hold it up right now, but um, I, I, was, I got for a birthday from, I think my brother actually uh, bought me this beautiful book called This is Karate by Masutatsu Yama. It's no longer in print, so it's kind of hard to find. And then I found it on Amazon about a year ago. And I thought, yes, there it is, because I, I know I lost it over the years, but it's just beautiful pictures. But Oyama has a nice section on Zen and meditation. And so that really appealed to me as a, as a, as a kid. And of course, in Hanchi Bowl's dojo, in every single class, you meditate. It was always a thing in karate. I remember I was at an event one time, and one of the students asked the question, what was the deepest purpose of martial arts, right? And the, the teacher, which was a brilliant teacher, incredible kabuto, great, great martial artist, said, the deepest purpose of martial arts is spiritual enlightenment. And I thought, oh, man, spiritual enlightenment, that's so cool. But nobody ever actually explained to me what that was. Yeah, and it wasn't because that it, they didn't know. It was just that because people really, it was not something you talked about so much because you can't. There's certain things that you feel on an emotional or visceral level. So then I started studying and I got deep into the world of Alan Watts, and that was very complex, but it was very interesting for me. And then then that led me to a couple of mentors, um, and you know, honestly, one of the people that really influenced me the most before I found Sifu was uh, there was a, a gentleman by the name of John Kokinos and his father was Nick Kokinos, the late great Nick Kokinos. Now Nick Kokinos worked directly with June Rhee to create some of the first really successful commercial dojos in the country. 
And so Nick Kokinos had a spiritual bend to him. He was a business guy, but he always talked about the spiritual side of things, that what you're seeing with your eyes is not necessarily what's really going on, because what you're seeing with your eyes is the manifestation of the thinking and the vibration that you've put out previously. That was Nick Kokinos. That was this business guy. And his son, John, just took it to the next level. Well, John became Professor Dunn's mentor and my mentor. And it was just an awkward time for me because I went one direction in my life going through a divorce and Professor went another direction. And um, anybody that knows Professor is the most joyous, happy, powerful person you'll ever meet and ever be around. Truly one of the most successful people on the planet. I will tell you when I first met him, he was not that guy. And he will tell you that a lot of that came from his exposure to the things that John was teaching. So then, long story short, that circle led me through Nick Kokinos to Sifu Brown. And what I just fell in love with, and of course, Professor Dunn had been doing this, but we kind of, I'd gone distances and things were apart. When I got into Sifu Brown's dojo, I realized all of the things that Nick Kokinas were teaching were all buried in the martial arts. They were all there. Of course, they were in everything, mm-hmm. but martial arts could be a tool to unlock some of those things. So then I started talking about those things, I think less in the last year or so uh, than ever. Uh, but, um, but then I started teaching those things and sharing those things, but only to those that ask. Since most people don't ask, but I'll be happy to j- just teach them a triangle choke instead. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because like the, the meditation is of all of the things that I learned through the process of practicing under you, that may be the most valuable. Like it's the one thing that no matter what I do every single day and having a fairly stressful job, I mean, some days and some days really, really easy. um, Having the ability to kind of hit the reset button and knowing that I can meditate for a long time and having meditated for so many years, I think there's something that happens. I can meditate for just like a couple minutes and it can be very effective for me. It's kind of like almost like taking the Windex and spraying it on the table or something and just kind of cleaning it off. And then it's like, it doesn't take long to clean it. It's way cleaner, way faster than it used to be 10 years ago or whatever it was. And I tried, I actually, when I do some talks sometimes, I will actually try to get everybody in the group to meditate because it's not as hard as what everybody, everybody, oh, I can never sit still. I can never just, you don't have to do it for a lot. Like do it for like 30 seconds, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, it's just like thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to go run a marathon today. Like nobody, nobody runs a marathon like yeah. with just a couple days practice. Like it takes, it's a process. So I think that's really, I think that really is another, another part of it. That's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of, one of the things that I like to get people to understand and make it real simple, simple to understand, everybody knows that, you know, you, the way you believe, the way you think has a huge impact on the results that you get. And we've all experienced that many times. But what happens is, is the next question is, is well, how do, I, how do I control the way that I, you know, the way I talk to myself and the, the beliefs that I have? And the answer is, you have to undo all the beliefs and all the negative beliefs first before you can build something positive. And 
I was telling this story the other week, but there's a guy, and I, I'm going to screw up his name, so I apologize for that in advance, but it's funny because my wife, uh, Senpai Shelley, is actually friends with his mom, but he's pretty famous. Um, his name's John Durimbos. I think I'm saying that right, but he was a, uh, uh, a uh, long snapper for the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, my wife's sister is very close to John's mom. But he's famous because he's been on shows like uh, America's Got Talent or Dancing with the Stars. Those shows, I don't really watch them, but I'm, I'm familiar with this because he's famous for being uh, uh, a professional football player that is also a professional magician. And so he's got a book out called Life is Magic, excellent book. It's just incredible. And so one of the things that he talks about in there, oh, I should just tell you this really quick little side story. So he got transferred from the Eagles to the Saints the year before uh, the Eagles went on their Super Bowl run. And he'd been in the league like 16 years or something. That was his dream was to always win a Super Bowl. But what happened to him was he did the physical for the Saints and they discovered he had a heart condition. And he went into emergency surgery and they saved his life that day. And he said, had I not got transferred, I wouldn't be alive today. And so that's, you know, it goes to his, his thing. And then after the, the, the Eagles got into the Super Bowl, the owner of the Eagles sent him a ticket and brought him into the sideline. And when they won the Super Bowl, they gave John a Super Bowl ring. Wow. So the great story, great that's read, cool. great, very inspirational. But my, my point is, is he says something in there that I love. He says his life changed the moment he decided to stop listening to himself and instead start talking to himself. <laughs> that meditation allows you to understand when you're telling yourself things that you don't need and you shouldn't be saying, and it allows you to clarify when you're telling yourself the things that you should be hearing and should be doing. And if people don't know the difference between those two things, they're always going to struggle in life. Yeah. That's interesting. I liken, um, I had a conversation with Mark Sears, who's one of your students also, senior students, probably the most senior or one of for sure. And he was talking about your ability to, in your talks that you have at the end of class usually, like the ability to kind of hone in on something. And I have felt this too. If, if anybody's ever gone to church and they feel like the pastor is kind of preaching to them. Like that's what you feel like sitting in the front row or any row for that matter in one of Sensei's talks. He's talking to this group, but somehow you're like, how did he know that I needed to hear that today? And it's one of the neatest things. I've never really, like there are just very few people in the world that have the ability to kind of just put their finger or thumb on the pulse and know exactly what needs to be said, when it needs to be said, how it can be said so that it can be heard. And I think that's like, it's, it's an absolute blessing to be in there and to be able to have that. And then, you know, we've kind of the, like the, the dojo now has a lot of more, a lot more classes and we're, we've got evening classes and we've got daytime classes and morning classes and things are a little strange now anyways with the, all the COVID stuff. But so I haven't been as involved in the evening classes, which is your primary uh, talking point. And I truly miss that. And I'm like, I need to really make a bigger effort. Um, as a guy that wakes up before five in the morning, that 7 p.m. class 
may as well be midnight to me. Right. <laughs> but um, it, but it's interesting and fun and it's cool. But like that, that I'm not the only one that feels that. Like like we literally just talked about that on Saturday at class, Mark Sears and I. And so I thought that was a a really interesting thing. And another thing that Mark and I were talking about was the difference between the physical act of martial arts and the mental, you know, and, and we both know, cause we've talked about it, but um, by the time this airs, I will have tested for my next rank. And these rank tests are, are no joke. Like this isn't no offense to other martial arts, but I mean, I've been practicing for, you know, as long as I have approaching 15 years and I'm not, not a black belt and people look at you like, what do you mean? How are you not a black? My, my seven-year-old's a black belt. How are you not a black belt? And I'm like, well, you know, every, every discipline has its own systems. And I really appreciate the one that, that we have in the culture. And um, we were talking about that, that testing process and how much of that is physical and the preparation that's needed and how much of that is mental and the preparation that's needed and the discipline that is required to be able to do some of the things that you have to do through that process of that long career of martial arts. And then the ability to, as we get older, to kind of feel how those things fit together and also be able to practice. We have some, we have a, a guy in our dojo, I believe he's 73 years old. It's Mr. Church. Yep. And you do not want to mess with this guy. Like, <laughs> like this is not a guy. This is not, this to say it's not a typical 73 year old is a, an extreme understatement. Yeah. I'm not wrong. Like it is, I'm way undershooting. Like this guy, will, if you messed with him and I can't imagine why you would, but like, it's pretty cool to have people at all ages and such different levels. Like I, as the, as the overall, as the teacher, as the instructor, that it must just be a joy to watch some of that stuff, huh? It, it is. And, you know, and it's, there's also a, there's, you know, a couple things going on. Of course, it's a joy to watch, but it's also, you feel like, well, you know, it's, I really truly feel like I won the lottery with people like you, people like Gary, people like Mark, many of the other people that have come over the years. I really can't take much credit for that. These were, these were marvelous, marvelous people. I was talking to Gary the other night and I was stepping out because I usually leave a little early on Tuesdays. I was looking at the class and I'm looking at him from behind. I'm like, I'll be darned that he isn't putting on more muscle mass, you know? <laughs> and he said, you know what? Matter of fact, I am. And then he flexed his bicep. And so, you know, uh, he's kind of uh, proven some things wrong about the way that we imagine that our bodies will deteriorate over time. Uh, I don't think that's, that's the case with Gary. I, I think he, his body is exactly where he wants it to be. And he's done that based on his decision rather than the things that other people tell him are true. Yeah. So you, you're, we didn't talk about this before, but we should now. So you're an author and you've written a couple books. It, like, first of all, what inspired you to write a book? I mean, that's something that a lot of people think about and not a lot of people do. Yeah. I read something a long time ago and I, I found it to be true. And people have asked me recently, actually, that you know, like, when's the third book coming? And I, I said, well, I know it's going to come, but I don't know. You'll find out what I know, you know, or they'll ask like great authors like Stephen King, you know, how's your book going to end? And he says, I don't know, but we'll get there. You know, mm -hmm. um, I've always believed that if I get my mindset right, the book kind of writes itself. 
and the act for me, the act of writing is a process. And when I say a process, it's a process I use to tune my vibration. So I tune my vibration through meditation. And then I have some other processes that I share sometimes on the mats when people ask. But then writing for me creates a focus of my mind. And, you know, just like I was talking about before, how we talk to ourselves is really valuable. So when I'm writing, it slows my thought down enough that when it hits the paper right, I can feel it. And when it hits the paper wrong, I can feel that too. And if I sit there for 30 or 40 minutes writing, um, my consciousness raises. And so at the end of, like, I will tell you, my, both of my books were like this, but particularly my second one. I wrote for over a year just on a pretty much a daily basis. I would just write. And then this, you know, I thought to myself, well, I really don't have anything because it was not my intention to write a book. And, but then I, but I kept it all in one folder in Google Docs. And I was like, well, that kind of, that part, well, that kind of made, well, damn. And I just kind of put it together. And I literally did not even hardly change the order of what I wrote. Uh, Matt Kazara came in and it cleaned up my misspellings and edited and mm -hmm. this is confusing, put it this way. But other than that, that second book was pretty much no intention of writing a book, just writing for my own uh, edification. And then that book came out and I think it turned out pretty good. Great. Awesome. So I, I touched on something for a second and I want to make sure that we hit hit on it. So we we started with your help and with with uh, the help of, of Mark Sears and Sue Jackson and uh, many others throughout. We, we started this little non-for-profit uh, with the idea conceptually that we'd be able to kind of give back to martial arts. And so we've done now at this point thousands of scholarships for primarily kids, but also some adults that otherwise couldn't do martial arts. And so... Uh, do you want to speak to that, like that little organization? And, and we're kind of, we're starting to make some progress some inroads to some much bigger platforms. We've got some, uh, some high level uh, competitors in some pretty large organizations that are starting to get, uh, we're getting some experience with uh, through the UFC and through, um, through some jujitsu things and some of this. And, and it's a lot of fun that I'm a part of it. And I don't really, I only have the responsibility of talking about it. I don't really have to do any of the heavy lifting, which makes it like pretty much perfect for me. But, yeah. but um, it, what would you say about that organization? Because I think this is, this is a good launching point for us to be able to start to tell more people because not a lot of people know it exists. Yeah, no. Well, the, the biggest thing is, is that, I mean, I think all education is like this, but other forms of education already have in place ways that there's, you know, student loans and student financing or grants that are given, especially to students that, that really um, uh, are good students that would like to get the education that they need. Now, you imagine a regular education, which is, of course, fantastic. But you imagine, you know, what we're trying to do for people on an internal level and what we're trying to do for people's health. So really, as a martial arts teacher, it puts us in the realm of two worlds, right? One foot is in the world of martial arts, and this is self-development, and this is really a, a path to making life better for human beings. And then the other foot is there's rent, there's utilities, there's insurance, there's payroll, there's all these other things. 
And, and somehow we have to find a balance for that. And so traditionally, a lot of martial arts school owners, myself included, you, know, you see somebody that needs it, they need it. They just simply need it. But then at some point, the bills aren't getting paid, and then that kind of can catch up. So what MAM does for us is it fills that gap. So it allows us to teach martial arts the way we want to teach martial arts in a, in a, in a professional, clean, um, deeply moral and ethical way. And at the same time, take the money part a little bit more off the table so that people that really want to train have that opportunity. And I just think it's a marvelous thing because there's literally been dozens and dozens and dozens of lives that have been changed and shifted because of this. And, I, and kudos to you, by the way, for you being the brainchild of it, and getting the ball rolling with it and promoting it so well. And, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, no problem. I mean, it's the least that I could do. And really what's funny is that I just don't do, I don't really have to do very much. We have such amazing people that have stepped in and taken the reins. And now I'm kind of like the, one of the spokesmen for it, you know, and we've been down in Matt Brown's gym, uh, the immortal Matt Brown with the UFC. Most, most UFC fans would definitely recognize that name. And I was there having a conversation with him about it. And, you know, we were talking about the kid program and all that. And then I'm leaving after I was in his office with him and we're leaving and he has a special needs program going. And I'm like, Matt, why didn't you tell us about that? And he says, well, you didn't ask about that. You told me about the kids. And I'm like, but, you know, and so it's just neat that like the, like, just like exactly what you said, the gym that the gym or dojo owners are doing this stuff anyways. And so for us to have the capacity and now have a vehicle, a 501c3 that's officially been running for approaching 10 years and given out thousands of scholarships and tens of thousands of dollars and nobody even knows about it yet. And so we're getting the word out so that the Matt Browns of the world and hopefully at some point the Dana Whites of the world and, 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 who, and who knows where it goes from there. But, but the true martial arts, the, like the martial arts people are, they're very giving folks. And some of us are so blessed. I mean, I'm just, I'm spoiled. I'm not just blessed, I'm spoiled. And so to be able to give back and, and be able to have other people have the same kind of experiences that I've had. I mean, I wish nothing, but the, I mean, this is definitely one of my, my driving forces for where I want and feel like I can improve and get better at, like not just on the mats, but off the mats, bringing more people to, to it. It's, it's a pretty, pretty awesome, pretty awesome organization. I'm, I'm super proud to be involved with it. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's just great. Yeah. And I think one of the, the things you had told me a long time ago, but it's absolutely true that happens is you might even have people that have started and they're really enjoying the practice and then something happens, a divorce yeah. happens or an illness happens. And this is this thing that allows people to continue their practice. And, you know, like I said, most of them know that they can continue their practice anyway, you know. But the truth of the matter is, is most of them would never impose that way. So what it does is it just really fills a, a very special need and a very important gap, I think, for people. Yeah. Well, and we've seen with the COVID situation, there's no question that the gyms are one of the places that are suffering immensely. You know, there's no question that whether it's a gym or a dojo or 
whatever stylistically it doesn't matter like everybody's in this together and um there's just no way with all of the people that ultimately probably end up dropping off or hitting pause or whatever with their like to be able you still the rents still do they still you still have to keep it a certain temperature you still have i mean there's a lot of things and oftentimes the expenses have spiked because you have more cleaning to do you have more help that you need you have the responsibility now you're trying to do things online virtually and and there's new technology involved and so there's all these things as a business owner i can relate to your situation in that and so it's not like well that's an easy thing so to have something where it's not just the gym owner skipping lunch so that right. he can have billy practice martial arts tonight like that's definitely not what we want we want everybody to come out of this better and stronger than, than they came into this uh, right. situation. So I think this is a good opportunity for us to get the word out on that as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. So if somebody wanted to find, find you and find our dojo, like what are the best ways to get introduced and what's the, like, what would we give them for, um, Hey, like come check us out. Yeah. Well, the easiest thing is to go to our website. There's information about my background. You can find links to my books. Really a lot of information about what we do as a dojo. And that's in particular important. And that's at ohiomartialarts.com. And if you just go there, then you'll see all the information. It's all readily available for anybody. And there's some free stuff on there too. That's I think very positive. There's also a link to my podcast. I've got that out there as well. So if you're interested in the internal stuff, um, then you can hear that as well. Yeah, that stuff's great. Is there anything else that we should be talking about before I let you go? Because I see we're bumping up on our time here. No, I, I don't think so. I think, uh, I think I've really enjoyed it. It's always a pleasure. It's kind of fun, you know, and I'm really looking forward to uh, Saturday morning. Yeah, should be fun. Well, if nothing else, it's always interesting and, and, uh, it always very challenging. So we're yes, looking sir. forward to it. So thank you, sir. Always right. have a blessed rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for watching. 